2: This is a podcast from The Times.
1: Go to thetimes.co.uk Times Plus live comedy at Wilton's. This month's Times Plus live comedy at Wilton's brings you four not-to-be-missed acts at the beautiful Wilton's Music Hall in East London appearing will be Ed Axel Nina Conti and Andy Zaltzman all compared by resident MC Jared Christmas it takes place on Thursday 26th of January 2012 at 7.30pm for tickets call 0871 620 4025 or book online at timestickets.co.uk
3: Welcome to the game. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm tasked with fitting a sensational weekend of football into the next 40 minutes or so. Helping me to do this this week will be Pedro Pinto. You know him from CNN's World Sport, James Ducker in the great Northwest, and of course, Tony Cascarino. It's Manchester v. London uh, this weekend, or at least North London. Um, we're going to start at Eastlands, and uh, I thought this game was... was Potentially, we might look back at this as a turning point. It could be where possibly Tottenham get knocked out of the um, of the title hunt um, and where Manchester City sort of get out of a difficult situation in a game which could have taken a very, very different uh, turn. Uh, but let's start with the big incident, um, the one which uh, because, mainly because it upset Harry Redknapp uh, and we in the media all love him. Um, Mario Balotelli on Scott Parker, the logic being Balotelli sticks, uh, kicks out at Parker should have been sent off. Howard Webb doesn't see it because he turns his head to look in the other direction at the wrong time. And um, Balotelli then wins and converts the winning penalty. Um, Don't want to turn this into a Webb assassination. We've assassinated enough times. So let's resuscitate him, um, keep him alive. Uh, But Cass, um, should Webb have spotted it? And should Balotelli have gone?
2: Um, Well, spotting an incident for a referee is Tricky at times, you know, especially got, when it's right in front of you. Well, no, he's looking to the right. He's looking to the right, What's he and then he at? glances back. Well, he's obviously looking at the, uh, something that's happened on the other side of the, uh, of the right-hand side of the pitch. But what?
3: what? Godot showed up. Well, what? I mean.
2: <laughs> Gab, he's... Okay, fine, You know, fine. The referee's got to have eyes everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the, the bottom line is, for me, is that he, I think he's sneaking. He sneakily gets maybe out the corner of the eye, but he's not sure of the intention that Balotelli has made. Because I straight away thought he's deliberately done that. Deliberately with, with you know, a pretty venom, venomous way of... Because he stamps down hard. And he knows the ball's not there.
3: You, you said stamp down. Can we just get clear, clear on dynamic? Because it was more it looked to me like it was more of a of a kickback, a back heel. And yeah. then we can debate whether he knew Parker's head was there. But I wanna ask you, if he hadn't made if he hadn't connected with Parker's head, would you still have sent him off?
2: Well it's very difficult because it's like if you need to see blood to send people off in a challenge if you see an elbow and a and player's holding his nose you, you immediately think well that's right. a really you know it's that's very very difficult to to assess what I would say is that the intention was there it was definitely right. obvious and it was obvious he caught his head but
3: well, because the intention is there we should send him off even yeah, if he doesn't um, connect
2: Um when he doesn't he connect, connect it doesn't well, people does no but if, how many times if you're going to send players off for challenges and they don't connect You nine times out of 10 people are going to be scratching their heads saying well he hasn't even caught him why uh, there is intention nearly in every tackle I don't say to hurt but there's intention to make but, a we're tackle we're not
3: talking about a tackle here we're talking about somebody kicking out at somebody's yeah, head
2: well I, I thought the intention was there straight away I immediately thought he's, he's well, a so lucky if boy is,
3: if there was intent to kick him in the head then it shouldn't make it matter. It shouldn't matter whether he connects with his head or not.
2: Well, Howard Webb, and we're talking about a split. A no, no, second I'm not blaming decision. Webb, but I just
3: want to get from you. you oh, if, absolutely. Okay. Is there, well, it's I,
2: obvious. It's I'm, obvious. Is there the intention was there? So yes, he should be sent off, whether he connected or not.
0: I'll take uh, Tony's opinion. I'll take Tony's opinion on this because he played professionally. Um, I'm not 100 percent convinced that Balotelli wanted to hurt Parker because he was out of balance and he was wanting to put his foot down. He also had I Modric
3: hanging off him, but-
0: I, I, look, I, I have seen Balotelli be probably one of the most um, controversial players in in this generation, for sure. I, I don't, I don't personally um, encourage the kind of attitude he has on the pitch ever. I'm, I'm not a big fan. On this occasion, uh, I still, I'm not 100 percent convinced he actually meant to hurt Parker, and uh, it's it's a different situation. For example, with what happened with Pep and Messi in the in the first leg of the quarterfinals of the Spanish Cup. That was no doubt looking down stamping. This is, I don't really know where this guy is. I'm falling down. I'm going to put my foot down. Maybe there was intent and I'll take Tony's lead on it because he knows what it's like in situations like that.
1: I, I just think it's vaguely comical that anyone could even suggest that there was no intent there. I mean the first leg comes down You're
3: vaguely comical, Pedro
1: (laughs) I I just think, you know, he thrusts his foot down Now, whether, you know, whether he knows Parker's there or not doesn't matter I mean, there's clear intent to thrust your foot down whether he connects or not Why is he kind of reacting and behaving like that?
3: Um, well, he has just been. Ta- I mean, sometimes you see players who, who just get tackled by two opponents and they sort of flail out afterwards. I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but um, you know, and, and might well be punishable with, with with a red card. But it's it's not something. It's not something. I mean, it's not something outrageous and beyond the pale. It's it's a reaction foul, right?
1: Um, I don't know. It just happens too often, with Balotelli. You know he's. He,
3: he, well, you follow City more closely than I do. Maybe you can recount a list of incidents well, where I he's mean, kicked people Malumbu, in the head. There
1: was a Malumbu incident against West Brom, which I don't think was as bad as the one yesterday. It was kind of a, a kick out. City challenged it. He, he actually got sent off the incident. City challenged it, but it was upheld. Um, he had, um, and obviously another incident against Dynamo Kiev.
3: Um, well, last year,
1: last year when he si- when he um, when he was sent off for that.
3: Wait wait, 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 but that but you're just listing his his red cards, and as I recall, that was that was very different. That was that was a high boot, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, no, But I'm just saying is that he's got.
3: A, well, he gets he, sent off a lot.
1: Yeah, no, he just he, he gets sent off for kind of petulant, kind of silly, kind of action. Like Paul I don't, know, I don't know if he's, I don't know if it's just that he can't tackle, or right. that he's just there is a, there is a there's a streak of malice in him.
3: As a game, I thought it was it was compelling. I don't think it was the greatest game I've ever seen. But there was one moment of, of I thought, sheer beauty. And I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of, of Gareth Bale. Because, mm. you know, we, we think of him as a left back. We thought him a left side of the mm. midfielder. Now he plays on the right. He plays on the middle. He's becoming almost the number 10 on, on mm. this team. Um, and and, and, he, and that strike was fantastic. And also the mm. pass that, that set up De, Defoe, the chance that he missed. Um Could you have seen this evolution coming, Pedro?
0: No, I thought always he was very fast. I thought always he would cause a lot of problems in that way, similar to uh, an Aaron Lennon, perhaps, but he's developed his his skill and his talent uh, immensely. I I think that it would be uh, ill-advised to move him into the middle just because you would take away from him the space he needs to shine. Uh, Similar to uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, when he comes Mm -hmm. through to the middle, he has less space. Um, He's he's phenomenal. He is phenomenal. He's uh, really uh, one of the best left-sided players in the world right now. Now. and he plays on the right often yes but keep <laughs> him on the wings I just hope he keeps on the wings because that's where he I mean I, I remember one Champions League game last season where uh, he just ran by Mike on like he wasn't even there it was uh, the guy the guy is, is getting better in he's
2: probably game. got half a yard quicker than Ronaldo I think he's just got a slight edge on Ronaldo especially at distance and what I mean the, the Norwich game was just unbelievable he, yep. that's for me he he played and you mentioned Ronaldo I don't think there's any better comparison because he just played in every position and was just causing mayhem
3: Let's give Ducker the easy question which will in no way alienate either red fans or blue fans in Manchester is Bale better than Rooney right now? Um, yes Ooh.
1: I think I I think Bale is I think he's a he's a potential to be a more kind of explosive match winner than Rooney on a more regular basis
2: James I just had one, one thing that just only bothers me about Bale and it's not Bale the player it's I'm not sure if he always has to be 100% fit to play to that level I, I'm not sure that little niggles costs him games where you just think if if he's he prepared to pay with a little niggle and just be that good on a regular basis, I think he needs to well, be 100. Yeah. percent And that's when I've seen him be—he's
1: devastating I mean, best. To be fair, there are certain uh,
3: athletes who, if they even have a little niggle, mm-hmm. they lose—you know—they're not—they don't just lose a couple percentage points. They, yeah, you know, they're half yeah. as good. At I,
1: I think. Um, I think it's a very interesting point, um, Cass. I think, um, like you say, he's so explosively fast that you know, if, 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 if there's a slight kind of strain or anything there, he's literally going at such a pace. Mm-hmm. And he's such a, you know, and it, like, like you say, I think Pedro obviously mentioned about Ronaldo, it's a very good um, analogy to make because they, they have kind of redefined the kind of way why players are, you know, like six foot two, they're built like tanks. So, you know, you kind of get, you get clips going at that pace and at that size, um, even though it obviously stands you in a lot of good stead um, in a lot of ways. I think if you have got a strain there and I think there are dangers there. I think the other thing, um, I think th- you mentioned about Rooney though, you know, Ro- Rooney's not good when he's got a niggle, and Rooney, if Rooney's mind's not on it, if there's a slight distraction in his life or, or whatever, as we've seen, he can be terrib- terribly off his game. I mean, you know, we see we see him going bursts and various things. I mean, Rooney's had these long kind of slumps in the past, um, a, lo- a lot of which might be owing to a niggle here or there, or kind of problems with, you know, his mentality or whatever. So I don't think he's, you know, a- I don't think he's a, a kind of a great example of a player who will just play regardless. I think he can be quite affected if, he, if he's not not 100%. Um, I think Bales may be a little bit bit more different than that. I just think he's got that that close control and sheer pace coupled with um, great vision and a scoring ability that just terrifies teams. I think when you kind of bring all those kind of attributes together and a laid- it's, quite, it's quite a rare it's quite a mm. rare commodity
2: and a laid back lad you know down to earth sort of guy we all we Doesn't all hear he really about him off the field yeah, yeah. he's no, like a
1: modern he's like a he's like um, he's not he's a stereotype he's like a James. version of, of you know of, a, a, a Giggs way you know he's like he's so much bigger well, and right. bulkier it's like the new age kind of um, you know Gigs, right. but but with this ability that maybe Gigs didn't have in his earlier career to play in different positions and and um, that's and all over, as well. all over the place. I mean, we are. He's had a great kind of couple of seasons. He obviously had that injury, and Tottenham mm-hmm. missed him. Um, you know, I, I'd still like to see how the next kind of twelve to eighteen months go. Right. But he's got terrific potential.
3: Um to wrap this up. I, I want to talk about how I think it's a complete. Disgrace and a freak show that in this country and only in this country there is a rule that uh, or, or, or clubs are allowed to make stipulations when they loan players that they can't play against their parent club. I feel horrible for Spurs that Adebayor didn't start. He started every game since arriving um, at, at Tottenham. I think what you saw out there wasn't Tottenham because this season's Tottenham has Adebayor up front. I think they're a different team. I think they're a better team with it. And yeah, if I was, I think Tottenham. You were screwed. You were screwed by some of the refereeing, but you were primarily screwed by this insane rule, which really shouldn't exist. And because Chris is telling me to move on, even in, and you guys disagree with me, there will be no disagreement—not today, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> move on to the Emirates. Um, last time around, it was it was eight-two. Um, we expected different. Um, I think we got different. But I want to start before we get into United. I want uh, to to Arsenal. I want to start with United. It struck me, they took the pitch. You know, it, people have talked about a few years ago when um, when United made that comeback against uh, against Villa and Kiko Makeda scored the last winner and how it, some people suggested it was sort of a turning point because they saw that they were good, and you know, but also they kind of had sort of some luck and some happenstance on their side, and you kind of feel like, yeah, this is our year. They would have gone on the pitch knowing what happened uh, at Eastlands, mm-hmm. knowing that, ooh, this is a chance to, to, you know, to pull closer, and then that, that incident at the end... In those circumstances, I think, to go and win and, and to create as many chances as they did, I thought that was a big show of character, James.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really think it's anything new. I mean, they they do this, they've been doing this for, well, for much of Ferguson's reign, but, but certainly, in, certainly in the last couple of years, they're kind of... The show of characters has kind of been remarkable. I just don't, I honestly, I keep asking myself how they continue to keep winning with some of the, you know, with the with the teams that they have. It, well, winning so prolifically, you know, a lot of the time. But I don't know if it was, I don't know if it's hugely pivotal. You know, it's, it's, it's January. I don't, I think, you know, when we get into March and April, I think we'll be... Um, much more key games there. I just think they had to win. it been a, it would have been a poor result not to, um, not to be an Arsenal that day.
3: Um, they created loads of chances. Danny Welbeck missed uh, missed a bunch of the match. I want to go to UCAS because obviously Welbeck's in a contract situation. Mm. Um, from the outside we like to find reasons why players we think are good miss chances um, so like oh look is he thinking of his new contract does that come into you when you're on the pitch or did, is it just something you don't really think about Well it shouldn't come into you
2: when you're on the pitch thinking about did it with you money? when um, all those
3: times you were having big contract disputes because you wanted more money well, it so you could buy more Bentleys
2: it does play it does play a part but I I don't honestly think I entered the pitch thinking oh if I score three today I'll get that extra two grand I've asked for no
3: so he just missed those chances no, because he was got- unlucky or,
2: no the bottom line is gap is that when you're a player I think if you're intelligent enough to think if I play well and I score goals and I do it I'll get what the game rate is and I think Welbeck is no different if he performs and shows what he can do Ferguson will give him uh, a, a contract that is worthy for where he is at his stage of his career
3: Pedro you create a bazillion chances at the Emirates um, you only convert one then against the run of play Van Persie equalises um, Then, you know, you go on to win the game, but do you worry when teams fluff chances in a game that they really ought to be winning, or should you look on the bright side and say, look, they moldered Arsenal?
0: I have so many things to say about this game So I don't, do I but I'm I don't, I don't really know where to start <laughs> We will be um, introducing
3: the Charvin Wenger Oxley <laughs> chamberlain discussion in the latter part now, There's not, a lot to
0: discuss so yeah, from that Let's but, stick to you from that for now that. Yeah. Okay uh, As far as the chances are concerned uh, United normally don't miss them and I was uh, worried in the second half when Arsenal were uh, reacting that they were going to get a point Not worried Worried because you're a big United fan No not worried at all in that way but Worried that a team that is so much better as a unit would waste two points um, because I I think the only mistake Ferguson made yesterday was not trying to freshen up midfield because you could see in the second half that Arsenal were just getting faster and faster. Uh, and he settled. He settled down a little bit. No? A little bit, um, but
2: came on as well. Yeah, Park
0: came on as well. Yeah, that on as well. Um, but that that was after Arsenal mm. equalized, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I thought he should have made those t- changes mm. maybe ten minutes earlier. But right. uh, again, I'm, I'm I complete. T- I'm completely uh, shocked that with a midfield of Carrick and Giggs, th- they can be still this good. <laughs> um, and uh, as far as uh, a couple of other quick points, Arsenal starting with four center backs when they know they're going to face two of the fastest wingers. Uh, In the Premier League, and I know they had injuries, but why then take off Giroud at at, at halftime? Terrible. Yes. So then you would have started
3: Nico Yanaris. Well, at least
0: you you, you play someone who's a bit faster and who can keep up with Nani or who can keep up with Valencia. I mean, to start four center backs in a game like that, there is just insane. He's done it
3: before. He has won games, but not not against top
0: choice, but not against fast wingers. That's just my, my my opinion. And then the last point: this game, really, you have a look at some stats and. It really didn't go like you would expect an Arsenal home match to go. They had less possession and they had uh, 15 um, fouls against six for, for, for United. And they had more yellow cards. You, you get the feeling that if, if Wenger is going to continue to preach this philosophy, mm. he at least has to live up to it because he's not anymore. No. Out Outpassed by Swansea... Less possession at home against United. You would at least hope they would get a bit more possession. It's it's done. That,
3: well, it's that, done. that's a good segue into our next topic. Mm-hmm. And, and it's Arsene Wenger. Um, I think apart from the Inaris bit, which I think was still sort of going out on a limb. I mean, Giroud's mm-hmm. done okay in other games. He was just awful on this occasion. I think maybe we can cautiously give him a pass on that. But what, what befuddled the crowd and what... You know led to uh, a lot of acrimony at the emirates was the decision to um substitute alex uh, um or alec it is alec isn't alec. it alec uh chamberlain take him off he supposedly had some kind of strain had to come off for andre arshavin <laughs> Uh, now you 're laughing, we had Gary Neville go on a tirade about this on television yesterday i don 't know if you saw that like yeah. you know, it says you know go back to Russia, blah 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 and, you know the women here are well, you don 't like it here go away um, james it 's very hard to have sympathy for for our right given that the guy has this stupid haircut, makes a lot of money, plays badly. When he does speak, he just talks about or the, the few things we hear from him, because we rarely hear him speak. I don't even know if he speaks English. Um, but you know, is quotes that maybe he said makes in Russia which then get you know, go through the the media treatment and come out at the other end where it seems like the guy's in some kind of gilded cage over here.
1: I think um most supporters can accept you know, that if, if one of their players is having a, a tough time with it, you know, and going through just poor form, but he's still trying, that, you know, they'll they'll hold their hands up. They might get frustrated. They'll still probably vent that frustration. But, you know, deep down, they'll understand it. I think the the problem we've all arrived at with Archerman is that he kind of trots onto the pitch in that pathetic, soft way of his, with his gloves on. Oh, and the, he just, sorry,
3: that's a hard northern they're talking about, for those uh, who don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real hard to go. Um, and he, he, he I, I watch him, and I just think you look to me like a player who would rather be anywhere else but on a football field. And I think that transmits itself quite clearly to, to everyone who watches him, most especially the Arsenal supporters. And they, they want players who, who you know, even in tough times, are going to give their all. And Arsenal. he's not going to turn it around and he's just kind of biding his time and I just cannot believe he's still getting in the, even with all the injuries that, um, that Wenger has um, and, and uh, I still can't believe Arsene is getting in the squad I think, I think his form and his attitude is that bad that he deserves just to be omitted and they just need to cut the losses as quick as they can
2: The bottom line is to this Arsene Wenger is a very very poor tactician. On on Saturday, I spoke about and and talked about tactics. What would they be against Manchester United? And I thought this game was so predictable. If there was any evidence that Giroud can play right back, did he not watch the game Arsenal Wenger with Sinclair with Swansea, who absolutely ran him ragged? Man United's tactic on, Saturday, on Sunday were to get at the right back position they played nearly every ball directly in that position they you're saw going that back as a
3: the Inaris argument
2: no I'm not I'm going to develop this because Welbeck's had four one and ones against Wel- uh, against uh, Mertzacker one of the slowest defenders in the Premiership with the ball behind him. He gets four one-on-ones because what Welbeck has been told, just stay on the shoulder of Mert Saka. we will get you in at least three or four times during the game. The tactics of Arsenal were awful. They had no idea. Arsene Wenger has relied only on one thing and it's, and it's been good players. Buy good players Send them on the pitch We'll win games That, ain't, that doesn't apply anymore The tactics on, on, on Sunday Were a non-avoid to me They did not have a plan of any form To hurt United It was all about sending players Onto a football pitch, pitch And deliver and no more tactically
3: so i look now at that Arsenal, he has bad players or you well he's got lesser players yeah. Gab
2: they're not bad players they're lesser players plus players got injured everyone talks about the fullbacks oh they're injured they're right. injured one final point Man United didn't have Vidic and Ferdinand so what? So, so
3: what? It's a different Man- team. Man it's a different de- manager. No, it's, a yeah, different, it's a different different budget. Ma- it's a different way. bugs de- me. Like, they don't have Wittich and Ferdinand. They've got Smalling. They've got Jones. They've, well, got, they've, got, they've got, got Evans. Why have Arsenal
2: not got second and third choice or, or players in every position? Oh. You have to in the Premier They do. You, Excuse
3: me. But I sorry, I, I really don't want to be the resident gooner here today because it feels kind of dirty. But they're not good but, enough, Gab.
2: You can you can name names and I can tell you they're not good enough. No, they're not good enough. They're, they're injured. We're, to, we're talking about a guy who's meant to be a genius. The guy who makes you be a genius is a very poor tactician on football. I'm sorry, I just can't see it.
0: When he had a lot of his success, he had the advantage of knowing the European scouting market and the French scouting market when they were world champions and European champions. And he basically bought winners. He bought a team. Ever since, he hasn't been able to develop players. As soon as players turn... To adults, they see I'm not going to win this guy with this guy, and they leave. I I understand what you're saying about the injuries, and it plays a very important part. However, the lack of ability to adapt and to invent, to improvise, and to get the best out of the guys. Look at their second team.
2: Remember, their second team was as good as nearly any any first team in the Premiership. That wasn't far 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 along.
3: I will mention Jack Wilshire, Abu Dhabi, and Mikel Arteta. Right, three people who weren't there. I mean, you know, we, we, can, we, we can go and, um, and throw this around and say it's down to the players. They also had a lot of absences, and they did go on a very good run. And that said, it's obvious Wenger made mistakes. Um, just to wrap this up, Wenger says it would be a disaster um, if they don't finish in the top four. I think he means it would be a disaster for him personally. Mm. I mean, I know it was, it, was in, it was sort of interpreted as, oh, it's a disaster for the Cub and Cronky and this and that. Um, but I bet the whole quote's in context, and I thought he means it's going to be a disaster for him personally. And, and I'm wondering if maybe there's a bit of a light there or, or a, a positive spin on this. Doesn't mean that Wenger's taking responsibility, Ducker, because when he says it would be a disaster for him personally, he's saying, you know, in spite of and Sask, and all this rubbish, I have the tools, and I expect to finish fourth. And if I don't, it will be a disaster for me personally because it means I will have failed. I like it when managers grab their you-know-whats and take responsibility. I think too many managers don't do that. Can can we maybe we've been <laughs> murdering Wenger? Can we maybe give him a, a a little bit of praise and a pat on the back for this one?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, I, I mean I, I didn't I didn't hear the interview. I don't know whether he meant it was a disaster personally for him or for the club. But I think it I think it it would be it, given Arsenal's present state. I think it would be a disaster in the sense that um, they'll probably do well to keep Van Persie if. Um, If they if they failed to qualify for the Champions League, any hopes of kind of really seriously remodelling the squad in the summer, if if can bring himself to do that, would would be hit by the um, by the lack of that that kind of option. Um, I I just think I mean he's he's been he's, he's correct isn't he? He's been in the Champions League every season since he since he joined the club so it's like 14-15 years or so So, so it, would a, dodgy, it would, be a, sorry, it would be a personal disaster of sorts when you kind of look back at that kind of record and that is impressive right. but I, I think the, 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 the disaster would be for the disaster is the right word but it would certainly be calamitous for the club I, I think um, you know the, 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 at the stage of development that Tottenham are at now uh, that Arsenal are at now I, I do think they're the new Champions, Champions League football
3: in our debate um, this week, I'm going to ask you to look into your, your crystal balls. Um, we've kind of taken it for granted that, except for when it comes to winning World Cups, the center of the footballing universe is in Europe. Um, we've had hegemony of different times, of Spain, of England, of, of, of Italy, of, of Germany, of Holland. Um, we kind of always assume that you know Europe is where it's at and the Champions League generates all this money and so on. But... Our producer Chris Skinner who's a forward thinker um, he said could there be a scenario where we're no longer the center of the footballing universe and of course he cited you know money's being thrown at, uh, at various leagues around the world of India South America, this, America. <laughs> South America yes the Brazilian economy is, is booming um, the US MLS is you know moving along slowly using this sort of a crawl before we walk walk before we run run before we fly mentality and they're still crawling and probably will be for, for, for a while at the rate they're going at, but there are positive signs there. Obviously, um, China uh, with uh, with uh, Nicholas Nelka going there, Dario Konka going there as well, a guy who's been overlooked in Europe. Which nobody's ever heard of him, but he went for a lot of money and signed a huge contract, um, I think with a team called Evergrande. Um, and obviously, India, there, there was this silly, you know, Premier Soccer League or Premier League Soccer, whatever, which is sort of like the IPL with older players and uh, should, I mean, Robert Pires is out there. Fabio Cannavaro. Robbie Fowler is going to go, uh, and of course, big name uh, managers like uh, like John Barnes and Colin Todd. Um, sorry, Colin. Apologies. Uh, but the point being, can we envision this future? Ducker, you, you, you're you're in Manchester. You've got. Um, <laughs> global view.
1: Uh, I, I think it would be um, it would be quite um, presumptuous, uh, presumptuous of us to think that Europe is just going to continue to be a dominant superpower. The world is obviously changing all the time, getting a lot smaller in so many ways. Um, you know, I th- ha- who knows whether we'll have a dominant. Chinese Super League, or similar in South America, or the or US—who knows? But I certainly think there will be at least one of those countries kind of presiding over a pretty successful um, top flight in the in the years to come, um, and will probably is the kind of. Nations develop and change, you know, become a lot more appealing to a lot more players. I mean, you obviously get at this stage uh, a lot of players going over for a final payday, at the end of the careers. But I do think that will start to change, and we'll go over earlier in their careers in the future.
0: I think there are two markets where players will go: Middle East. Uh, especially with the World Cup there in 2022. Uh, a lot of players are already going there now uh, before they turn 30, and China. And this this is just a reflection of the world economy. And unfortunately, players these days will go wherever the money is. Uh, and if that trend continues, then it's very possible that there could be a, a huge league. And I'm saying, in you know, 25-30 years. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. Uh, but especially with a financial fair play in Europe, if that's not extended to other regions, if there's no salary cap in, introduced by FIFA, yeah, players will go where the well, money is.
3: Interesting one there because I'm wondering, and maybe I'm opening Pandora's box here, but you mentioned you know, going to the Middle East. Obviously one of the big issues is apart from the fact that it's pretty dire in Dubai and, and, and Qatar and whatever in terms of the football because those are tiny countries and great competition, If they could pull it off, you know, people talk about the European Super League. And I am, and I just came up with this 30 seconds ago. And so please, you know, tell me if it's rubbish. But is it in some ways Asia ideally primed to skip the natural evolution of sort of organic growth of domestic leagues and move straight to an Asian Super League? In other words, you put enough money in it, and you have, you know, one team in Dubai, one team in, in Doha, um, a team in Shanghai, a team a team in, in in Beijing, a team in Hong Kong, or, or, or whatever. Could you not get enough wealthy people there to just open it on a grand scale, chuck a lot of money, and and give it a go immediately? Can you imagine the size of the TV market uh, for starters? Mm.
0: Reacting to your idea, Gabriele, I think it's very possible that it could happen. Uh, Honestly, I think it's with the money that's there, it could happen. It depends on how the football develops but Russia should be part of that because Samuel Eto'o told me he gets calls from players every week asking how the standard of league there is mm. how the lifestyle is because players will go where the money is
2: yeah and I do think that players will because they have families and children and, and what's happened is they go there at the latter stages of the career obviously for a financial rewards if they're going to go there earlier it's going to be for a lifestyle and a, a love to live there I mean over my career so many times when I spoke to French players who wanted to come to England 90% of the time and it was a huge part of the demands of players was to say I want to go to London I want to live in London they wanted to go to capitals or where they assumed it would be a nice place to live and yet I sort of think, well, why wouldn't you want to go to Liverpool or Manchester or, you know? And players do care. They do really do. But, of course, they care less when they're coming towards the end of their careers.
3: Right. Well, Ducker, I'm a, a, global, a global Asian or pan-Asian league based around big, glitzy Asian capitals. Uh, could it also be facilitated by the fact that if I'm Joe, Asian billionaire, yeah, I could buy a Premier League club and that'd be pretty cool, but then I come here and I have to compete against to compete against Mansoor and maybe the club I want to buy isn't up for sale and do I really want to buy Aston Villa and just lose money for a long time? Whereas, you know, I can, you know, build FC, FC Shanghai and and build a stadium and name it after myself and start from scratch and and sort of get in at, at the ground floor. Like an American franchise.
1: Be, I think a lot some of the um sales of Premier League clubs or purchases sorry of Premier League clubs in recent years half of them seem to be vanity projects so I think we would have to obviously be yeah what you're saying is is appealing in a lot of sense but I think we would have to be some kind of you know global recognition you know of what's going on over there I don't think it would be palatable to a lot of um investors if that it's just you know an asian super league and no one knows anything about it
0: mm. well sorry um,
3: sorry sorry but uh, sorry mr eurocentric no one knows anything about it in europe but i'm presuming people in asia would know about it if you get do
1: great if you care if, you know good owners i'm sure that they, they they love the idea of it but i'm talking about the owners that football clubs seem to attract mm. Um, and a lot of them seem to just do it because it's a vanity project. I don't think they've got much care for anything really on it. And so, yeah, if you get if you get an owner over there who does care generally about FC Shanghai or, or whatever it is, then brilliant. I think it's to be, that'd be to be embraced. But I'm just personally. The kind of owners you're talking about, I'm just, I'm just questioning a lot of their motives at the moment. Maybe it maybe that kind of move would breed a sea change in, in thinking, but I'm not entirely convinced about it.
3: Final point on this, um, Brazil. And to me, I mean, we've seen a whole bunch of top players go back to Brazil uh, recently, although some of them don't don't stay very long. And, but I mean, this is a booming economy, it's a big country. They have the football history, they've got the infrastructure, they've got the fan base. Um, the, the argument, funny enough, that, that, that maybe works against Brazilian teams, and I'm looking at you, Pedro, because you, you speak Portuguese and for no other reason, um, is that actually in Brazil, You don't, I mean, obviously you've got very big clubs, but it's a lot more diffuse. You don't have like a Real Madrid or a Barcelona in Brazil. You've got, you know, sort of 10, 12 regional clubs that are are all very big, Um, but they don't necessarily have that enormous spending power um, despite the the wealth sort of in aggregate terms. And so a lot of times they would rather spend money on Brazilian or Argentine players who are a lot cheaper, right?
0: Yeah. um the issue with the Brazilian league as well is they've changed formats so often that you kind of lose uh, the perspective of, of what the standings means. And you've seen you know historic clubs be relegated, um, and Palmeiras, Corinthians, you know. And uh, I, I just think that Fluminense, Fluminense exactly. Um, the issue with Brazil is after the World Cup, if they continue to grow as an economy, it's possible. Right now, um, I, I don't. I think it hasn't happened because a lot of the players still see Brazil as a third world as far as organization is concerned, the stadiums is concerned, security is concerned. I mean, Roberto Carlos t- told me recently he left Brazil because he just couldn't take the fans anymore. He was being, and this is a legend, uh, and at Corinthians, uh, he he had to leave because he had to get three or four security guys because. Fans were on his case every game before at home. Uh, I I just think if they get their act together. Um, as a league, professional league, and, and have a standard and keep to it. Yeah, why not? In five years, they can get a few European players, but it, it has to do with the mentality. Interesting. So he's complaining about
3: hiring three or four bodyguards. I, I, I kind of like the idea. In fact, if I could afford it, I, have, I get three or four. I'd love the idea of having a posse or just even just having, <laughs> get, three, no, just even having three or four friends would be nice. Get, <laughs> nobody's chasing you, are they? Even if pay, I know. That's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> you don't need them. It would make me feel important. <laughs> Time now for some quick hits. Uh, Liverpool slip up again. Uh, they're beating 3-1 at Bolton. Uh, Cast leach was very hard on his players after the match. Is this calculated to get a reaction or... Has he really had enough? And should he also get some blame for bringing some of these crummy players to Anfield?
2: Um, Well, he has to take responsibility for Liverpool being poor. Um, He made some strange decisions. Uh, The bottom line is that Liverpool's performance was way below the expectation of players on a football field. Being beaten by a team that's been so weak and so poor defensively in such a dramatic style. No, Daglish and the team have to take all responsibility.
0: If he wasn't Daglish, he would be looking at getting fired right now. He is not good enough as a tactician, as a coach. Right. That's and just
3: mean from Pedro. I'm going to shut him up because he's being mean. Okay, that's enough anti-Liverpool talk on this podcast. Ravel Morrison is at Loggerheads with Manchester United. Um, Ducker, is he worth the fuss? And what is the problem with this kid? And gentle listeners, um, Ollie Kay wrote a great column about this a while back. It's a fascinating story.
1: I think they deemed him worth the fuss um, for a long time, but they're starting to arrive at the conclusion now that he's more of trouble than he's worth. The problem, obviously, everyone knows he's off-field antics, but it's things like ter- not turning up for training or um, uh, you know just ignoring calls. And part of the problem as well is they've spent so much time sitting down with him and uh, trying to give him advice, and it just goes in one ear and out the other. And I just don't think they feel they're going to get through to him.
3: I've only seen this guy twice, and both times on television, but they do say he was the greatest talent uh, ever produced by United's Academy, Um, so... Hopefully, he can resurrect his career, whether at United or elsewhere. The good news to Chelsea is that they have increased the lead over the other fourth-place contenders by uh, one point. The bad news is that they failed to score at Norwich. They're the first team to allow the Canaries to keep a clean sheet this season, which, of course, means that Fernando Torres is once again in the firing line. Pedro, you have a better sense of uh, AVB than most of us. Is he really committed to Torres, or does he play him because, well, he really has no other choice?
0: I think he's committed to Torres because he's created a lot of goals and he's now gone 11 league games without <laughs> hitting the back of the net and that's worrying. But um, he, he, he believes that the best is, is around the corner. Uh, I, I Obviously, right now with Drogba gone, he doesn't have many other options. He finally realized that Lukaku plays for Chelsea, uh, which is an interesting development. But uh, he's sticking with him because he believes uh, he's still got what it takes. Well,
3: watch this space. Um, Rory Smith, of course, wrote an interesting piece like- last week suggesting that Daniel Sturridge is annoyed at being played uh, in the wing and wants to play through the middle so um, Sturridge would probably say that AVB does have another choice
2: well Gab and Ped this is one for the both of you huge story in Spanish press Sunday morning a possibility of mutiny at Real Madrid do tell us more
3: well, the big thing about this is that the story appeared in the uh, in Marca, which is obviously a newspaper that's uh, very, very close to to Real Madrid, so you wonder if somebody upstairs at Real uh, approved this story. It tells of uh, of a blow-up between Sergio Ramos uh, and uh, and Joseph Mourinho following their defeat in the Copa del Rey, uh, which Mourinho appeared to have a, a go at Iker Casillas, and of course he is Saint Iker Casillas, um, and Casillas didn't like that, so... There's a lot of rumours swirling around the club. I think that uh, this is uh, possibly the toughest moment since for Mourinho since he arrived at uh, Real Madrid, despite being top of the league.
0: We mentioned that he was jeered at home at the Santiago Bernabeu, which is the first time ever. This is the toughest period at Real Madrid. He's been given every little power at the club and a lot of players on the spanish side don't appreciate that they also feel that the portuguese and uh, brazilian contingent always gets uh, the, the, the benefit of the doubt and a lot of the core players are overlooked and um, i think this is his last season in madrid and i think he'll take over manchester city next next year <laughs>
3: That's all we've got time for this week. Now, remember, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis, uh, your web chats. Uh, A bunch of us are on Twitter as well. I'm at Marcotti and uh, Pedro, you're at PedroCNN. So there you go. Pedro's happy to criticize Joey Biden for being on Twitter, but he does it himself. Cass, are you on Twitter as well? No,
2: I don't tweet for the obvious reasons. I I keep my uh, feelings to myself.
3: There you go. Uh, So please engage with us. We'd love to hear from you. Till next week. Bye bye.